So we're going to hear the idea. Um, and then I'm going to ask you just take that bat, and if it's a yay, you can ring this bell, this here bell. With the bat? No, no, no. You don't <laughs> have to. I'm too close. Okay. Damn it. I'm too close. <laughs> What's up, hustlers? Welcome to the Matt Brown Show. What's up, hustlers? Let's talk about media. So, trying to define media is a very difficult thing to do because in today's world, media is evolving so quickly. You know, just for some context, as of April 2018, the total worldwide population was 7.6 billion. The internet has 4.2 billion users, and of those, there are some 3 billion active social media users. In fact, there is a new social media user every 15 seconds. You know, when you consider that Facebook, Messenger, and WhatsApp handle some 60 billion messages a day, this is just a small snapshot of the media-driven world that we are living in. But as much as the world changes, some things stay the same, like making sure that you, the entrepreneur, have a great story to tell on the plethora of media channels that you have at your disposal. One entrepreneur that has seemingly survived all of this change in media and over the last 30 years has been responsible for the production of household entertainment shows like The Shark Tank, Strictly Come Dancing, Come Dine With Me, and many, many others. His name is Duncan Irvine, and he runs the biggest TV production studio in Africa, and by all accounts is a living legend in the media space. In this episode, we'll explore his very personal and quite frankly unbelievable journey in producing some of the biggest shows in the world today. So strap yourselves in for a cliffhanger. So without further ado, enter Duncan Irvine. Welcome, guys, to another cracking edition of the Matt Brown Show. I have none other than the infamous Mr. Shiny Floors, Duncan Irvine in the, sh- hey, on the studio. Hey, hey. Thanks, dude. Thank you for that. No, you're welcome. Yeah. Thank you, bro. So it's interesting that you're here. I'll tell you why. Because I spent most of um, last year trying to get all the sharks from the Shark Tank yeah. on the show, and that's yeah, yeah. now happened. Yeah. And now I'm going deeper. I'm going into the trenches. To the guy that actually produces shows like Shark Tank and Strictly Come Dancing. Like, what other shows are people familiar with that you are responsible for? Um, so, on air at the moment, we've got Project Runway running on Mzanzi. We've got, um, we're busy uh, auditioning to start shooting in a couple of weeks' time. Come Dine With Me. Um, fifth season of Come Dine With Me. Um, what a show. I know. Um, <laughs> yes, you would have thought so. Um, I would have thought 50 seasons at least. You know, I'm hoping. <laughs> No, that's just sad, bro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't you get? Isn't there like show fatigue? Like, what makes a show like that successful? I mean, come on, dude! Yeah. It's some random people having dinner. No, I know. I mean, the premise is so simple. I mean, it, it's ridiculously simple. You know, it's not the voice with spinning chairs and all these wonderful yeah, yeah, devices. Yeah. Wait, wait, don't do that. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, okay go, go. Yeah, yeah, turn and then you know. Yes. yes. Oh my I, God! You're I amazing. choose you. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, um, but what makes it work? Like, is there a formula behind this stuff? You know what it is. The fundamental formula for any show—it's like a drama or anything else. Matt Brown show. It's yeah. It's casting, man. It's casting. Yes. So that's fundamentally it. I mean, you know, the rest is just mechanics. So. On a show like, um, on a show like Come Dine With Me, I mean, we spend a lot of time casting, you know, I mean, people apply and everything else, but then we'll literally go to their home, spend the day with them, they'll cook for us, we'll walk around the house, we spend a whole day with them, getting to know them and everything else. And mm. so you do that with like, you know, 150 people so that you can eventually kind of whittle it all the way down. Uh-huh. And then the fun part is actually, you know, on a, on a big wall, we kind of work out who we're going to put with who. Because we hope for a particular kind of scenario. So you want to… Tension. Yeah. Well, you know, you want to find people who have one point of view and you put them in a room with people with a different point of view. Yes. You know, and I mean, that's what gets people talking because instantly, you know, it's either, you know, it's something I disagree with or it's something I firmly agree with and then you get that dynamic. So I love that. So when I do the live shows and so forth, it's like you get Rand Neuner with like Tanya Knowles or someone like that yeah. or Fazam who's a closet anarchist yeah. and then Ran just being Ran you know um, and like the two of them will just hit it off like mm. there's a panel of like four or five people but they will literally dominate that whole show because they have different points of view yeah. but the reason why that's so awesome is because you get to the truth right you get Absol- people really to, quickly yeah, yeah really really quickly and that's where the value sits so 
So why don't you take us back? I mean, you've just got such an incredibly distinguished career in media, TV, um, and we've touched on just some of the shows, but yeah. the young Duncan in his early 20s, right, hustling. Uh, Mnet was involved at yeah. the time. Yeah. Um, why don't you take us right back to the very beginning? How did your journey start? Sure. Um, that's a good question. Um, okay. So way, way back in terms of like how did I even become interested in this kind of like video television space? Um, probably actually started uh, when I was in high school and um, my um, I, I played quite a lot of sport in my parents bought a video machine and they would film us kind of running or swimming or doing whatever we were doing. The camcorder. The camcorder. But it was one of those old ones, you know, with like the handle with a cable that went down into a recorder <laughs> and you put the VHS tape in there to play record at the same time. <laughs> I mean, we're talking, we're talking way back. <laughs> way back. This is a throwback to, yeah, like the early 80s, you know, so like way, way back. Um, Anyway, so I started filming things. I really enjoyed it. And I started editing stuff. I put two video machines, you know, uh, next to each other, put in a tape, cut in the, you know, but, you know, I didn't know what I was doing, but, um, started cutting some stuff, started filming some stuff at school, uh, entered a little documentary that I shot at Burke's Luck Potholes or something when I was about 16 or something, you know, so I just, it was a hobby. It was really fun. Um, and it's one of the things that I think is so important, you know, as an entrepreneur, you know, I, I remember I was about 15 and I went to a, a, a talk by a guy and he basically said, if you can make your hobby, your business, you know, you're guaranteed to be successful at it, you know? Um, and so it was just a hobby for me and I, I did it. And then, um, I finished high school. Um, and then I went to, for some career guidance and the guy basically said, look, you know, either you need to do something in the arts or you need to do engineering. You kind of like, it's like, you, you know, can't be both. You can't be both. You can, you know, it's one or the other. Anyway, and I think my parents at that time, uh, were kind of like worried that I might want to become a, you know, ballet dancer or something. So they just kind of skipped the arts. They were like, we're signing up for engineering. Be a man, damn it. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Build cars. <you> know? <laughs> um, so I signed up for engineering. Um, but while I was doing engineering, I carried on, it was still a hobby. So great way to meet girls. I used to um engineering was a great way to meet no, Brad, no, you found your calling, dude. Engineering <laughs> is, yeah, slim pickings. <laughs> um but um no a friend of mine's a friend of mine's sister had a model agency. And, um, uh, and, uh, so she needed somebody to come and she wanted, you know, she asked me to come and film when these girls did their little, you know, their ramp exercise and everything. So what a cool way to meet girls, you know, particularly when you're studying engineering. So I, I carried on filming through, through, um, university. Um, I then started a business, another business, um, which was a bulk photographic printing business, um, which was something that I'd seen in the States and hadn't been done here. And, um, that business grew really quickly through my sort of second year adversity. In my third year adversity, I franchised it. I took out a full page ad in the Sunday Times, sold franchises, got a whole bunch of franchises around the country. Um, but now I'm running a business. Now I have staff. I'm like, you know. And how old are you at this point? I'm uh, about 19, 19 going on 20. Um, and now I'm running a business. I've got staff. I'm trying to juggle these two things, like third year varsity and everything else. Yeah, and um, the worst part is you're trying to get laid. So how do you run a business and get chicks at the same time? You know? It's amazing what you can juggle when you, <laughs> when you really want to. <laughs> when you're motivated. Um, and... Uh, Anyway, so I got to the end of third year. I wrote my exams. I crashed out horribly. You know, I, I think I got rewrites for like 80% of my subject. So I just thought I can't keep doing this. Um, so I dropped out and um, carried on running the business, uh, but then got conscripted. So then went off to the Navy. Um, when I got down to the Navy, um, uh, just coming out of basics, they um, um, I got I got called in to see the guy who headed up the um, the naval unit and he basically said, I see here on your interest it says video. And I was like, sure. You know, and everything else he was like, well, you know, we bought these cameras and we don't really know what to do with them and everything else. And that started like this video unit. And so I joined them, which was pretty cool. So I got to film all over the country. You know, some of it was, you know, felt like you're embedded in a CNN crew because some of it was not that pleasant. Um, but some of it was pretty cool. Um, so I carried on. So I, I got to shoot more stuff, edit more stuff. Uh, it was really great. And then um, when uh, the name started and they were 
about a year old or so, and um, and I started freelancing to them and got involved with Mnet. So, I mean, that's kind of how it evolved. How Rapid Blue, the business started, was that at Mnet about I started um, about a year into Mnet. Um, I was part of a, a team. I was the acting manager because I was a freelancer. I couldn't be the the real manager. Um, and we had a team of people, um, small group of us, um, started with four of us and then it grew to about 14 of us. And I did a management buyout. So I went and I built a business model and I went to uh, the CFO at the time and I said, look, I've got a model where if you let me take my whole team out and you loan me some money uh, or you loan me all the computers and the desks and everything else, I can give you the same, if not better service for less money. So I kind of worked out this whole model and, uh, and he was like, looks good. And within a week or two, he said, yeah, we think we can do this thing. So, so how many people left Mnet to go and start? Well, we were literally or? all freelancers because it was basically oh. the Mnet on-air promotion team. We did all the promos that said, watch the movies, watch the sport, you know, that kind of stuff. The And all the station design, you know, the Supersport S, the KTVK. The so you KTVK guys were responsible for the M. The Ribbon M. The Ribbon M thing. The Ribbon M, um, you know, and did all of that. Um and um, yeah, so that's how the business started. You know? Crazy, man. And what was your, I mean, how old were you then after your first management buyout? So I was about 24, I think. Okay, great. 24, 25-ish. Somewhere so you're earning there. your stripes. Like, I mean, at that time, if you cast your mind back, like, mm. how did you have such a entrenched belief in yourself and to back yourself to pull a move like that? Because, I mean, you got to have a seriously decent-sized set of cojones to basically go to Mnet and go, okay, bro, I'm taking literally your money mm. while I'm freelancing for you. It's like Mav coming to me and going, hey, give me a million bucks or whatever. I'm going to take like 10, <laughs> of, 10 of your stuff and I'm going to do a, like a production creative studio called Digital Co- I mean, like just crazy. Yeah. You know, how did you, like where did you get that sense of belief from? You know, for most of us, time is what we want most, but what we use worst. So why not let Digital Kung Fu make the most of your time? By letting us market you, the brand behind the brand. Check out digitalkungfu.co.za to get your hands on our curated content packages specifically for busy entrepreneurs. Look, I mean, I think, um, you know, I was listening to your, to your podcast with Kim and you, you know, right at the end you were talking about, you know, essentially it's the, you know, are we born with it or is it something we can learn, you know? Um, uh, and, uh, and, I, and I think you said that you don't believe that, uh, you're born with it. Uh, it's certainly skills that you can learn, but I think, you know, um, look, I mean, the first time I tried to sell something to somebody else who wasn't my family, I was about five, you know, so, you know, I, I, nobody taught me anything, you know, you definitely fall into I, the born with it. Yeah. You know, bucket. I grew up, I grew up on a farm and I went and fished, you know, caught fish in our little farm dam. You know, I'm pretty sure I probably cooked them alive. But anyway, you know, put them on a fire, <laughs> hung them up on the barbed wire fence, sat next to our little farm stall. And when people pulled in to buy citrus and things like that, there I was sitting on my little brick Bookies. trying to sell them fish. I will be independent. <laughs> so I, was, I was probably five or six at the time. You know? That's crazy. Man. Um, but also all the way through high school, man, I ran so many primary school. I probably ran five or six different little businesses, you know. So hang on. Wait, wait. Let's talk about your parents here because yeah. they must have been instrumental yeah. in that, right? So, yeah. I mean, I love this question, but what was the greatest lesson your father ever taught you? So, I had a, I had a really interesting um, parental dynamic um, in the sense that my mother was very much the entrepreneur. Um, so, she was starting businesses kind of left, right, and center. My father was like, you know, he was just the consistent – he had a job. You know, he worked for a big organization. Um, he was in management. Um, and, um, you know, so he was the annuity income. He was the regular, every month we know we're going to get it. The safety net. And my mother was like, you know, doing her thing. So, you know, I grew up on a farm. My mother started a, a wholesale nursery, you know, and just grew it and grew it and grew it and, and became a really good kind of uh, business. Um, when we moved closer to the city, cause it was just getting harder for my brother and my sister and I to go to school and do sport and stuff, you know, traveling like an hour to get to school every day. Um, we, um, she started a, an estate agency. She opened a, one of the first um, video rental businesses. You know, um, it was a bunch of things that she was doing. So I think that's the kind of dynamic. So she was always kind of pushing the envelope. Um, Do you think you take more after your mom or your dad? 
You know, I think I've got a bit of both. Okay. Um, I got a bit of both. Um, and I can see it, you know. Um, I mean, my mom, uh, as I said, she's incredibly, she's so, she's incredibly multi-talented. She used to watch TV and type and knit at the same time. She had like an electric knitting machine going with her foot on the pedal. She'd be typing like Super 100 woman. words a minute. And she'd be watching a drama series, you know, kind of like every now and again. And cooking dinner. <laughs> you know? And she, uh, and I guess what I get from her as well is just like a low, bo- you know, I just like, I get bored quickly, you know, with stuff. And uh, so she's done everything, man. She, you know, learned to play guitar. She did wood carving. She painted. Oh. She, you know, just whatever. So do you think you model a lot of your your behavior on what you saw her do with starting all these different businesses and stuff. I mean, for fuck's sakes, you were five. <laughs> you know, that was when you yeah. started. And then by the time you even graduated from high school, yeah. you were like seasoned. Yeah. You probably started almost as many companies as I started when you were 19. Yeah. I'm 39. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, look, I think the great thing is that they, they also just indulged everything. You know, I mean, even when I was in high school, I started a bicycle repair business and I made a sign, man. It was like two, three meters wide by two meters high and I stuck it on the front of our house. You know, I mean, <laughs> our neighbors would drive past this thing uh, going A and J, you know, it was like, you know, bicycle repair workshop, bring your bikes, you know, and we would like, you know, change brake pads and things on bikes for Max, you know. Uh-huh. Um, in fact, it's my first contract. I still have it framed on my desk, you know, between really? my, my partner and I, he was my neighbor. You know, we were both the same age. The little thing that said, and if you cheat me, then you, you know, stuff like that. Like a four line typed yeah. on a typewriter, you know, yeah. signed by him, by me. You if know. you cheat me, I'll let the air out of your back wheel <laughs> tire. One of those, man. Oh, that's hilarious. But it's, um, yeah. So, and they just indulged it, you know, they just let this ugly damn sign just hang on the outside of the house, you know, for a year, you know. <laughs> and, uh, so, so from that point of view, I think it was really great that they were just like very encouraging of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Cool. So, so Mnet, yes. right? So there you are, Rapid Blue. I mean, how did you begin to start to scale that? Like, what was mm-hmm. your, I mean, back then TV, radio were the two main mediums, but yeah. still are, I guess, ironically enough, despite how much the world's changed. Yeah. Um, and you're doing a TV production company. You're young, yeah. you're ambitious. I mean, yeah. you, did you really know what you were doing? Because <laughs> so, it's, stri- sorry, yeah. just to qu- give more context to that question, it strikes me that mm-hmm. because you've started so many businesses, a lot of it was just, I have an idea and now I'm going to start this thing and I'm going to work it out as I go. Yeah. So look, I mean, I think that, um, I actually put quite a lot of thinking into, into doing this buyout. I mean, I I built a pro, uh, you know, I built a real business plan. You know, I knew what my costs were. I knew what I could charge. I modeled up different scenarios because I had to find a way to justify to the, to, to Mnet, to the, the organization that this would be good for them. You know, now, I mean, they were paying us freelancers. So there's going to be no differential in terms of cost of people. Um, you know, so I had to work out. Like, what are the other costs, you know? So, yeah, we're taking office space, you know, we're using aircon, we use your photostat machine, you know, I had to build a, I literally had to build a model that, you know, that, that proved that by letting us go, it would be better for them. Um, I think a lot of that kind of thinking came from, um, so in, you know, probably between, um, I don't know when I was probably about 18 to 22, um, <coughs> excuse me, um, you know, spreadsheets had come out, so I taught myself how to how to use a spreadsheet. You know, um, spreadsheets lie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like the most on bit most entrepreneurs. If I drag this cell this way over yeah. twelve months, I'm going to make twelve times the yeah, profits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Never. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, no, so it was that. I mean, I'm, I, um, I've always been a prolific reader. Um, so I used to, um, there was this other business that I started, which was, uh, I worked with a friend of mine on where we used to bring magazines in from overseas, um, by the container load and sell them by weight at flea markets. Um, so you'd pick up magazines, put on a scale, you just pay for the weight. Um, and, uh, I can tell you the story of that. There's a whole backstory of why that was a good business. But, um, <laughs> and in the end, CNA didn't like us, so they shut us down. Um, How do you, what do you mean they shut you down? Well, initially they, they really didn't like what we were doing because we were bringing in international magazines. So they were bringing in international magazines. Our magazines were like maybe a month older than their magazine. Um, but we were selling it by weight, which was a 
third of the price to the list price that CNA had on shelves. And the reason we could do that is because we were buying the magazines as scrap. So in the UK, when they took all the magazines off the shelf and they sent it to the pulper, we'd go to the pulper and say, just bulldoze all those magazines to containers and ship them to us. So we were buying magazines by weight, by the weight of the paper, and not by the, you know, so we weren't paying for the brand or anything else. Anyway, <laughs> so when they couldn't shut us down, what they did is they got a hold of all the suppliers in the UK and said, you've got to shut down this loophole where these guys can buy the the magazines and so that's how they shut us down so just before we dive into quote of the day how yeah. long how long did that last that particular venture about um about two years uh-huh. about two years and what happened well we grew it i mean it was in it was in a number of flea markets then we opened retail stores we had about five different retail stores we called it um euro mag was the name of the business you know and you would come into the, into the stores and it was just tables, you know, like trestle tables just piled with magazines. You just wade through it and there was just like a till and a scale and that was it. It was that, <laughs> that, that lean and mean. Is there a business you haven't started? Guys, so quote of the day, why don't you walk us through this one? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there, I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up, it's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. All right, so proximity is power. Um, and the smiley face. Don't the forget smiley the smiley face. face. That's a very pretty smiley face. <laughs> <Yes>. Well done. <laughs> Super Pro- positive. Proximity is power. What's the deal yeah. with that? So the deal with proximity is power is that um, is the fundamental concept that you, you are the average of the five closest people to you. So if you think about who are the people that you spend the most time with, and if you were to kind of like write that list down and say – of the five people that I spend the most time with, then have a look at those people. And essentially, you are the average of those people. So fundamentally, if you hang around with losers, you're going to be a loser. Uh-huh. You hang around with um, people who are superstars, um, that's what you will become. Who um, do you hang around with? So, I mean, it's an issue I knew you would ask. So. Thank you. <laughs> um, look, and the thing is that um, – so I do. I mean, I have, I have, I have, I have, um, I have a, there are a couple of people, um, kind of in my life who are really good friends. Um, and, um, uh, and then there are people, but I use it. So, I mean, I can talk about that. Um, but I think that there, there are a couple of, couple of layers to this. Um, I think the first one is that, um, make sure it's also kind of balanced. So don't just have, you know, I don't know who are the, you know. Your fans, essentially. Yeah, so you don't yeah. want to have that because all those guys are going to be doing is going, you're awesome, you're amazing. Yeah. You know? No one will ever tell you you suck to your face. They'll Absolutely. Tell you, they'll tell other people behind your back. You totally. Know? So you need to have some people who are going to kind of like, you know, be honest and, and truly honest into your life. Um, and they're generally the most people, the people that you can be the most vulnerable to, which is also really, really good because the guys who are cheerleaders, you're only ever going to want to show your best face, you know? So you're never having a bad day. You're never having a bad year, you know, anything like that. So they Fine. just go, you go, buddy. So I think there's, there's, there's that. And, and, and also make sure that it's, um, that it's varied, a varied group of people as well. So they don't all, you know, they're not all, um, you know, I don't know, private school Ivy League types, you know, in your life. You know, you need some hooligans in your life as well who are also going to kind of like push you a little, you know. Um, so I think, I think having a healthy mix is important. But it is such a good test. I also think it needs to be something that evolves because everything evolves, you know. I mean, um, I mean just in my life, um, you know, the kind of business that you're in, the kind of stuff that you get involved in. I mean, when, when, you know, when I was kind of leading up to, to doing the deal that I did with the BBC in the end, um, suddenly you need different people in your life because it's a whole different, it's a whole different, it's next level shit. It's next level stuff, you know? Yeah. And the current group are not going to be able to serve that, you know, completely. Two or three of them will, 
um, but not all of them. So you've got to keep evolving it. But I think it's a great asset test. I think every now and again you need to sit down and write a list and go, you know, if I had to add all these people together and work out the average, is that me and who, where do I want to be? Who am I cutting off this week? Yeah. <laughs> no. I'm I, on an exponential growth curve, yeah. baby. <laughs> it's the one t- – you know, it's my, it's, it's the, yeah. Anyway, there's a whole conversation we can have about social media in terms of your personal social media, like mm. Facebook. Mm. Like, who are your friends on Facebook, you know, and how are you making that decision? Yeah. You know? Are they really your friends? Are they really your friends? Are, are they you? really? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm quite brutal on LinkedIn, for instance. I mean, just for my own benefit, which is that I don't accept anybody on LinkedIn if I've never met them. Dude, you wouldn't even accept me. You know? You know, I'm joking. <laughs> I don't remember getting an email. Yeah, no, but it, it is true though. I mean, I've got a whole show with uh, Vic Williams coming up next week all about LinkedIn and stuff like yeah. that. But just on that, and because this is a whole thing around um, kind of networking, building yeah. your 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 kind of brand one, but also building your network, right? So yeah. if you cast your mind back to Mnet in those yeah. first year or what have you, like network was a big mm. deal. It still is. Mm. You know, we had that chat sure. know, when it was months ago and I said, how long did it take you to get to a point where you literally phone a major broadcaster like the BBC, for instance, and this is even pre your deal with them. Yeah. And you say, I'm going to do this show. And they go, sweet, mm. how much? And they just want to do business with you because your reputation, your cred yeah. in the thing that you do better yeah. than anyone else yeah. didn't require marketing and sales. Yeah. It's, I'm, I am that guy, yeah. right? That took 25 years to do yeah. something like that. Yeah. yeah. So yes, there is a whole conversation to be had around that. Sure. But let's, I mean, if you go back to Eminem, because I want to talk to you about that more mm. specifically, how did you go about building that reputation? You know, the... the, the, the Quite simply this, you know, which is that what we've held always is the quality of our work. I know it sounds a little cliched, but we truly have. So the killer in the television industry at the moment is that um, what broadcasters – here's an example. What broadcasters are paying for drama now, today, is exactly what they were paying for drama like 12 years ago. In ter- really? In RAND terms. Exactly the same number. So with inflation, with everything else, they're paying exactly the same amount of money they were paying 12 years ago. The killer with that is that um, there's only one thing that can suffer, which is kind of like, you know, the sort of quality of your drama. Um, And that filters all the way down. So that's why, you know, um, for instance, and I'm just using drama as an example, but it's across everything, is that, you know, actors and actresses just make – terrible money you know and i mean it's it's really tough and they shouldn't you know i mean they should you know for their for their for their craft they should be earning a lot better than they are um uh, florence put an uh, there was uh, she did a feature article in the sunday times i think it was now on sunday just talking about exactly that as a, you know just literally pleading with the broadcaster saying you've got to put more money into the stuff because why don't they though i mean if they're paying the same rand you know that they paid 12 years ago and they're getting the same result but now they're getting scale from it because obviously media proliferation and stuff like why like why aren't they you know doing that like what's stopping them so because because it's simple supply and demand so at the so what's happening is that there are um i mean there are two strategies to it but the one is that they're still finding small production companies you know who are trying to break in who will who will do it for that price you know and i understand that because what they're doing is they want they need to build a bio they need to get a show on their books you know and everything else and they've got to get they've got to build their business off the back of that um uh you know what, what i'm starting to see is a little bit of a trend in television at the moment as well is because because there's some pushback you know as well as that some broadcasters are almost kind of breaking it down a little more and um and starting to say okay we're not going to hire a production company. We're just going to hire a, an executive producer, you know, like a showrunner. And then we go, and then we'll hire the line producer and then we'll put it all together. And so effectively they produce it, you know. Um, so we're starting to see a little bit of that kind of coming through. Um, but it is, it's also, it's also an economic reality. I mean, um, the SCBC essentially are, have, uh, you know, are almost out of cash. It's not a big surprise, you know, I mean, it's not a, Big secret, you know, it's in the press, it's everywhere. Um, but they're flowing that down into production companies. So they, you know, I mean, they, they sent out a letter saying, we can't afford to pay you this month. Um, so production Thanks. companies are having to go and raise money, bond their house, do whatever they can. So we're, we're a digital production company that's yep. focused at, on talent. Mm. Weirdly enough, and, and the reason why we're focusing on talent and kind of marketing the entrepreneurs behind the brand, the mm. talent on the shows. And do you know Chris Jaffer? Mm. So Very well. he's, he's one of our clients. We did a deal with him yesterday. 
Brilliant. So he's doing like top billing and yeah. this whole thing where… He was a host on Dancing with the Stars. Oh, you know? There you go, the yeah. first season, right? Yeah. yeah. And then uh, he's doing this thing now called The Longest Date, mm. which is like where Bachelor meets Fear Factor. Mm. Sounds horrible. <laughs> <laughs> what people will do for 50K. <laughs> but it's interesting content, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but all of this stuff, you know, idea is worth this unless it's executed and in the media space with TV and yeah. digital talents and stuff like that. I mean, I keep getting told by people… Production's a zero-sum game. Mm. Do you believe that that's true? And if it is true, what should we as Matt Brown Media Digital Kung Fu look out for in the production space? I mean, is it a zero-sum game? So, look, and, and we're using South Africa as a context totally. because, you yeah. know, I mean… You can't compare. You can't compare. No. So, you can't. So, in terms of South Africa, I think that, um, look… On, in our business, the only thing that's kind of like um, one of the key things that's kept us alive is diversification. So we don't make all our revenue just on commissions waiting to get yeah. your broadcasters to say, hey, make me a show. Mm. Uh, in fact, that's, you know, kind of a third of our business. Um, you know, so, so we, you know, we've got, you know, we, we do business for international broadcasters. We do, you know, we, we build big production hubs down here for international broadcasters. Uh, we do long form television. We do short form television. You know, we do branded entertainment. So we're dealing directly with media agencies. And so, so essentially our sources of money comes from brands. You know, it comes from broadcasters. It comes from international. Um, you know, it's a whole, um, the whole kind of range. And that's what's kind of helped us kind of get through it. Mm. How do you approach that though? Because so for us, we do talent, we do brand films, we do events, we do conference brands, which is going after sponsorship cash, I suppose the same money that you sold just at a much bigger mm -hmm. ticket. Um, so when, when an entrepreneur is listening to us right now and goes, holy shit, I need to diversify my revenue streams, how does he go about approaching, identifying what is the right revenue stream? Do you grow where you planted? Do you diversify completely into adjacent markets? Like, What's your experience there? Yeah. <laughs> Big one. <laughs> Big one. <laughs> Big one. Look, I think you need to play to your strengths. Um, you know, we spoke a little bit about kind of what differentiates us, and I said it's a bit cliched, but quality. Um, and um, and we absolutely held that. So we turn down work, you know, um, if we don't believe that we can deliver it at the level that we think we can deliver it at. And as a result, you know, so that's part of it. So part of it is that when we walk into brands um, and I put up the shows that we do and everything else, everybody sits there and goes, oh, I know those shows. I've seen those shows. And you're really halfway through the door. Now, now they have confidence. You know, they go, okay, these guys know how to make content, mm. you know. So, um, so, and that's exactly how I grew it internationally, you know. But I had to get on a plane. I had to go overseas. I had to spend, you know, I've been, um, I've been traveling to the markets in Europe for, uh, you know, nearly – 20 years now. Yeah. You know? I mean, you had a New York-based production studio mm. also. Mm. I mean, how different are we talking, actually, when it comes to production specifically? Um, when you look at South Africa and America, is your whole process different? Is the way that you – I mean, how different is it internally in the business but also externally? And now a word from the Daily Hustle. Hey guys, so earlier this week I was interviewing Jen Su. She is a pop star, socialite and master network and even an author. All about the subject of a personal brand. And what really jumped for me was the incredibly strong connection to the media, however you choose to define that, whether that's social media, own media, own media, or whatever. But my point is that this, the role of media and personal branding is unbelievably powerful. And I will say that since I rebranded my own show from the Digital Kung Fu Show to the Matt Brown Show, it really did 10x my audience. And even now, it's led to the formation of a media company, Matt Brown Media. And if you haven't noticed by now, my name is actually in all of these properties. And so personal branding has can really go a very long way to building your own business. And so what a lot of people don't actually realize is that once you produce the content, where you put it is as important as what you say on that platform. So for instance, you can really feed the media machine to help further scale your personal brand. What I've done in my own business is I've got a syndicated partnership with Entrepreneur Magazine. So they syndicate all of my content to their quarter of a million visitors on their website every month. And this has massively improved my ability to grow my personal brand and ultimately my business. So my question to you guys is very simply this. How are you feeding the media machine with your podcast or your content? Till next time. 
yeah. It, look, the scale of it is just insanely different in terms of what we do. Um, plus, they um, look. The thing is, uh, yeah. The, in terms of process, both the US and the UK, Europe. You know, I mean, pretty much all the sort of you know top tier sort of first world countries. Their process is. Um, uh, quite a bit different in the sense that they, first of all, they have super smart people who are evaluating ideas. So these are people, they have a culture where, you know, you, you work in production and then you'll come into the broadcast and you'll work in the broadcast. Then you'll leave and you'll work in production and then you'll come back and you work your way, your career develops that way. So most people, um, in broadcasters in the US and the UK have spent many years in production. They know how things are made. You know, they know what's good. They know what's bad. Um, and sometimes that's the challenge here. We've got lots of people here who work. Who don't know? Who've never worked in production. You know, so they came in and they worked their way up at the organization and now they're working with a production company, but they've never actually produced anything personally themselves. And that's, that's a challenge. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you know, to navigate that. Mm. And most of them have got, you know, high enough EQ that they kind of recognize that if you are arguing firmly enough about something, you're probably right, you know, <laughs> and they should probably take a bit of a risk on you. Um, and most of the guys are like that. I mean, you know, um, you know, I mean, um, for instance, at the moment, you know, we, we, we're working with Mnet on The Bachelor. So, you know, we're busy casting for The Bachelor at the moment. And that team that works on it from the Mnet side of things are, um, are, are I mean, you know, they've, they've produced. They, you know, they. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not available. We're busy that day. <laughs> too cool. young now. You're too young, damn it. You've got to pay, you got to earn your, you pay your school fees, bro. Yeah. Cool. So let's dive into Knockout Punch. So, Duncan. Yeah. Your top tip, dude, for entrepreneurs. What's that one? My top tip for entrepreneurs. Come on, it can be anything, man. The thing yeah. that you potentially think is like a thing you've applied in your world that you know will work yeah. in theirs. Look, and I think um, okay. So here's my here's my tip. My tip is, and this I've learned from personal experience, um, is that uh, you need to, you need to sit down and reevaluate your own, you know, kind of the value that you bring to your own business mm-hmm. um, on the basis of saying like, out of all the things I'm doing. What am I really good at? You know, and that's an evolving thing. You know, I mean, if you look at my career, I started as a cameraman, kind of like filming things, and then I moved into creative and I became a director. And then I realized I'm actually not such a good director, you know, because I looked around and the guys who are directing with me, like they weren't working as hard to make great stuff. And I was working my ass off. So I was a little bit like, <laughs> yeah, you know, I get this thing. I can do it. You know, um, I moved across to producing, you know, I started producing and then, you know, you're a creative producer and then I moved across into executive producing and, and now literally like I'm, I'm hardly involved on productions, you know? Mm -hmm. So even though I've got like 28 years of experience of productions, I know how to cast, I know how to do everything, but I got really great people who know how to do that. So Mm -hmm. now I do what I really enjoy currently, which is kind of like cutting deals, you know, finding business and cutting deals um, and structuring interesting deals and, you know, and that side of things. So that's pretty much all I do. So the tip is evaluate your skill set. You know, if you hang on to like, I'm also, you know, and I did it for a while. I was like, no, I'm a great cameraman, you know, and everything else. And then the footage would come back and my poor editor would be sitting there going to be dumping all my stuff. And I'd be sitting there going, actually, you're right. You know? And then I was like, okay, you know, call it quits, move on. So, so, so don't fall in love with your own bullshit, basically. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. You can ring that bell now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So let's talk about the actual shows themselves. You were talking mm. about, you know, a shark tank I want to talk to you about and how you casted, you know, mm-hmm. Ran and, and everybody else. Um, and so how does you, how does, how do you as the deal maker for rapid blue now mm-hmm. look at a potential show? Like you were saying in America, it's very much around knowing whether that idea will fly before yep. one cent's even spent on pre-production, yeah, yeah. so to speak. Right. <laughs> um, like how do you know whether an, an idea is going to fly or not? So, um, okay. So there's, there, there, there really is quite an analytical process to it. Um, which is that, um, you know, I have all the ratings for every show that is on every channel, you know, in South Africa. And I get that, you know, almost daily. So I know what shows are doing well, what aren't. And you can pick up, you know, so you start to pick up three themes out of that. The second thing is that um, I get a lot of research uh, out of the rest of the world in a couple of markets that are key markets to me. Um, and I've <clears throat> and I've kind of noticed that um, generally in terms of trends, you know, um, we're about – we're about three years behind kind of like the trends in the US and the UK. That long? Mm. Yeah. 
Really? But you know, it's not just a TV thing. I mean, if you remember, I mean, when the markets crashed in like 2007, 2008, it really only hit us in like 2010, you know? I mean, generally, you know, I mean, when things happen over there, you know, when it's that classic thing, you know, when they sneeze, then we're going to catch a cold further down the road. Um, but from television trends, that's generally it. I mean, right now you can see that um, drama is really exploding in South Africa. The most watched shows on almost any channel now is drama. It used to be entertainment. Um, but, you know, it, it's been that case in the US and the UK for many years. So, I mean, we, so we watch these trends. Um, so I get a, you know, I get a sense of kind of what the trends are. I have a look at what's performing. Um, and then I start working out. Then I start looking at individual broadcasters and I start going, okay, what don't they have? You know? So for instance, right now is a trend that's starting to kind of happen. You'll start picking it up is dating. You know, up until a year ago, there was like zero dating on television. So for like five, six years, there was like no dating shows, you know? Um, but now there's, you know, there was take me out on a Mzanzi, we doing the bachelor. There are just dating shows. Longest dates. Longest date, all these things. So suddenly that's in the ether. So dating is a thing. So maybe that's another show for you, you know, yeah. just, yeah, you no. know, date map on. Date map. Exactly. Put nav on. You know? <laughs> you've got a show. Oh, that's hilarious, dude. Oh, just picture him with a, in a tuxedo. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget the rose, dude. <laughs> Oh no, yeah. that's hilarious. Yeah. Um, he does need a girlfriend though, so if you are listening yeah. and watching, you can write yeah, yeah. in. He's hello, a good guy. Hello at the mav at digitalkungfu.coza. He's available. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about Uber niches. Yeah. So what is it? Because it was an interesting insight that you were telling me about um, a couple of months back around yeah. how you put this like a very interesting content play. Mm. What is it? So the concept of Uber niches is that um, – so firstly, let's understand where it's kind of coming from and where it's been driven from. So where it's been driven from – um, primarily is in the, is in the SVOD space. So this, so SVOD is, so, which is subscriber video on demand. Okay. It's much easier. Netflix. I, so yeah. Okay. So Netflix, Amazon, um, you know, all these guys who are, um, um, so it's video on demand, which means that you subscribe, monthly subscription, you come in, there's a whole library of stuff and you can watch what you want when you want as many times as you want. So that's the SVOD space. What's happening in the SVOD space is, um, because it's so, because it is um, so user friendly in the sense of what you can do, as opposed to what we would call linear television, which is like watching an Mnet or an SBC, where it's curated by somebody. Somebody puts shows in an order, and then you got to watch it in that order. So, what's happening in the SVOD space is that they they're trying to find out, um, you know, so they're about making money. So it's like, how do we, how do we, you know, how do we bring more people into our space? Um, and how do we compete with linear television? So, you know, I mean, if you like Big Bang Theory or whatever it is, it's out there, man. You can go and watch it on Comedy Central. You could find it anywhere you like. And they're going, okay, cool. So, you know, so we're not going to do a Big Bang Theory because we're competing with the free TV guys, you know. So how do we do this? And particularly people like Netflix, I mean, the amount of research that they have and the data they have, because when you come on, they know exactly that it's you because you've chosen your icon. Mm -hmm. They know what you've watched. They know how long. I mean, they use, you know, they have so many fantastic algorithms in terms of whether they renew a show, in terms of how many minutes you watch, yeah. how many episodes you watch. Did you binge watch it? Watch it? Did you come in and go out? Why did you come in go out? They analyze everything. Anyway, this all comes down to the concept of super, super niches. So, these uber niches um, are now starting to be identified, and we're starting to see it very much in the digital space. And what it is is that – so what they'll do is they'll identify. They'll say, okay, there are these uh, – I don't know. Let's come up with some um, like emo heavy metal fans, okay? So yes, you know, they're like – you know, they're antisocial, they're very, you know, they're very self-involved, they wear hoodies, they don't want anybody to see them and everything else, but they love heavy metal music, man. So they go to concerts and they sit right next to the speaker and that, there's this group. And so what they do is they start saying, okay, here's an interesting group. Nobody else is really serving these people, you know, because um, – so let's create content specifically for them. So on Netflix, some of the examples of shows would be things like um, Transparent. So how do you – they're the first people to do a show about transgender, you know, and have a transgender lead, you know, yeah, in the show. Totally. Or Mr. Robot. Like yeah. Mr. Robot, if you're a hardcore hacker and you love that world, that's a show that like seriously ticks every box for you, you know. Yeah. Nobody else is making shows like that. There was Black Hat and a couple of things, but they're very vanilla Hollywood. So they're making shows for these uber niches. And I think that's the kind of space. I think podcasting plays to uber niches, you know. Um, but what uh, podcasts – 
is talent. It's yeah. about the talent that makes totally. it work. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But but sometimes it's the topic. So New York Times did the thing called the Caliphate. So there is a 12-episode podcast called The Caliphate, uh, which is all about, uh, you know, it's one one journalist's kind of um, really trying to understand ISIS, you know, and it's probably one of the most powerful podcasts I've ever listened to. It's what's like your, a drama series. Do you, I was crying in one episode. Were you? Yeah. Oh my God. And you find out what happened to the Yazidis, you know, it's just yeah. like, I was like, you've got to be, oh, yeah. this is hardcore. What's your favorite season show ever? <laughs> Come on, I have That's to ask too hard, you. man. Come on, you know? dude, pick one. Uh, comes the first one comes to mind. Go of television. Yeah, jeez, I don't know. Netflix. I don't know. I don't know. What are you watching? Right I watch. Now? So what are you much watching right now? Well, what I'm watching right now is is also just tied into what's kind of current and happening right now. So I'm watching everything from Handmaid's Tale. Oh. You know, um. <laughs> Nab's nodding his head in approval. <laughs> cool, dude. So let's dive into the Injustice League. The Injustice League. My favorite part of the show. We can clear these. <laughs> cups away so Duncan's going to start swinging some shit yeah. in the studio um, so Duncan what is your or the one injustice that you see in the world that you feel you just want to get off your chest right now <laughs> well and you know um, well look fundamentally they're a bunch eh? I mean there are a whole lot of them um, but I guess right now and mainly because it's I think it's also because it's in you know it's happening right now is and I know it sounds a little cliched and I think it should be everybody's is corruption you know totally and, man um, you know, I see it, I see it, you know, in broadly in, in, in my business, you kind of pick up on it every now and again, not so much in South Africa, but you know, in other parts of Africa. Um, but fundamentally for me, I mean, just the impact of corruption just on South Africans, you know, and I'm talking about the, the poorer part of South Africa as mm. opposed to, you know, and, uh, anyway, it is my, right now it's the thing that is like okay, good. making me angry. Are you feeling pensive and, and pissed off and <laughs> Not angry. pensive, just angry. Just fucking angry just right now. Angry. Oh, that's what we want. Okay, cool. So we've got you in the right mindset. You yeah. Put your mic down for me. Okay. Um, so, so in this in this box, I have um, some corruption coins. <laughs> it's a new okay. cryptocurrency that we're launching on the show. Cor- <laughs> corruption coins. <laughs> it's crypto. It's making me really worried. Corruption cryptocurrency. So, yeah. my son's been uh, in there. So he's already eaten oh, a lot awesome. of these uh, crypto crypto coins. Can I reach in and take one of these? You, you can. Out. But what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to pour all of these out. Okay. Over there, right. like so. Um, so this won't fly off the table, so you're good. Right. Um, you can put your mic down. I'm going to move this chair back so okay. you get a bit of a free arm swinging space. Um, and then I want this you to... <laughs> <laughs> By the way, just, just full context here. So Duncan said to me, we've been talking about some other stuff, and he was like, dude, you know, I was like, yeah, show's got to be informative, educational, yeah. entertaining. And he was like, yeah, but, you know, 80% entertaining. And that was why the Injustice League exists. So <laughs> okay. thanks, brother. Appreciate that. Pleasure. That's all your fault. <laughs> and that's why you're here. So this is going to be a very special Injustice League. So yeah. you can put your mic down, and okay. then you can just smash the hell out of these corruption no, coins. Because I and think... You know that this is a trend. Hey? What's this? Have you heard? I mean, so in television and in the world, um, is these? Um, you know, there were the escape rooms. You know, there were like for you team like building. You'd go into the room uh, and you'd yeah. find the clues to try and escape. Well, yeah. you know, the new one is like these anger rooms where you pay like an hour and you go in there and you can just smash everything in Seriously? the room. Seriously, yeah. They've even got statistics of like what people want to smash the most, and it's <laughs> printers. Printers are the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You so can, you pay and you come in, you say, I need two printers, man, at least one photostat machine, like a mannequin that looks like my ex-wife. And, I come <laughs> and they stock it and you we, walk in there and you smash the place to pieces. You know? And now they've turned it into a TV series. Do you so, want to smash this? No, because that just looks as scary as do you, uh, this is Look at this. This is our corruption dude. In <laughs> fact, you know what? Let's smash. You can smash the coins and the corruption man here. <laughs> oh, no. So there you go. There's your bats. Right. You can put that mic down. And then uh, feel free just to go to town on it. Hey? I want to get at least three good strikes from you. Okay, go. Three. Yeah, please. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, go. Go. Just lend it, bro. Lend it. <laughs> and the man, the man, don't forget the man. Go, go. Oh, yes. Cool. Thanks for that, bro. I appreciate it. Anybody want some crushed crypto yeah, chocolates? Mm. Well, I'm have a bit Get of chocolate. some chocolate. Thank you very much. Mm. Let's bring your chair back on over here. Yep. Cool, dude. So, um, I want to talk to you about Shark Tank specifically. Sure. Because I think it's very relevant for my audience. Yeah. I mean, 
in your view, was it a success? Is it a success? Mm, absolutely. When's season two coming? So um, soon, I hope. Um, so here's the fundamental thing, and it gives you an indication also of. Let me just swallow my chocolate because uh, <laughs> it's not bad actually. After no, you exactly. smashed it with a baseball bat. <laughs> <laughs> um, so big picture on, on Shark Tank. So Shark Tank as a genre of television is called factual entertainment. So it's got fact and it's a bit entertaining. So factual entertainment. The killer in our environment is that there are not a lot of factual entertainment programs on television. It's just like one of those things that broadcasters are like. They're not too sure. If it's factual, we make it documentaries. We put it late night. If it's entertainment, then it needs to compete with you know reality shows. You know, Is it going to compete with you – know, come dine with me and you know um so it's quite hard to place so as a result broadcasters don't have a lot of money set aside for factual entertainment so we've had to find all the funding for shark tank so we've got to yourselves f- we've got to we've got to go out and find all the funding to be able to produce that show Hectic. um so that's what slows it down you know if a broadcaster was commissioning it, it was in their budget and and it and it performed as well as it did perform they would just renew it but um, so instead, what they've said to us is it performed really well. Uh, we'd love to have it back. Um, so when you've got all the money and <laughs> and you're ready to make it, let us know. <laughs> yeah, something wrong with um, that model. No, fully. Uh, yeah. you know? So um, so that's kind of where we sit. So that's why it's taken a little longer than we we'd hoped. Um, and also, this year has been a funny year in the sense that, particularly from brands, um, you know, just in terms of them being a little hesitant. So it's kind of like, you know, everybody's like it, but they just want to hold back a little. They just want to see how things pan out. So that's been the trick. So that's just the long story of like second season and when will it come out. Um, uh, in terms of, I mean, you know, in terms of the commitment from the Sharks, I mean, you know, they, we, we've, um, they love it. They're very keen to have it, you know, to do it again. Um, channels are very keen to have it back. We just got to put the funding together. So, what, how did you pick or cast Dawn, Gil, Romeo? Um, who was the other one? Vinny. Vinny and uh, Madness. And Madness, yeah. yeah. So, they were the five. Um, yeah, so we. Was look, it hard to cast them, basically? Was it hard to find people with the, like Dawn? Like, they've all got incredible stories. Sure. Look, what you need to do when you're casting for Shark Tank is that, um, you know, A, you need to find really great entrepreneurs who have done it themselves, you know, um, that have their own, remember, they invest their own money. So they need to be able to come up there and commit that they're going to invest a certain amount of money. You don't want somebody who's going to just there and say no to everything. Um, but also, um, you also need entrepreneurs that are pretty brave and are pre- prepared to put themselves out there. Because the second you say, and these are the sharks, you know, people are going like, who is this person? And how do they make their money? And things like that. And so you need to be comfortable that you're going to be in the public spotlight a lot. Um, so that off- so often people are kind of a little bit like, mm, not for me, thank you. You know? Nervous. Live Nervous. Te- well, it's not necessarily no. live, right? I mean, you no, can make live. mistakes. Yeah. No, exactly. And, and we edit around things. This um, is live. This is live, you know, you know. What do you um, think about live TV? Is that a reality? I mean, yeah. in terms of like factual entertainment. So, cause I'm, where I'm going with this is if you take my show, yeah. right? And if we had a backer who believed in what this thing and the audience and what we we're doing, we yeah. could create a TV quality broadcast, which this yep. isn't yet. Yeah. But if, if this was, if it was possible and there was a backer and this was a factual entertainment show and I was able to get, thanks to the backer, essentially mm. like, I don't know, um, anyone, any big, big name entrepreneur into a studio to mm. come and do this thing. Mm. Like, is there a place for digital shows like the Matt Brown show? Do you think, when is that like tipping point coming if it hasn't arrived already? So soon, um, uh, a number of the broadcasters are starting to look at. So there are two components to it. The one is, you know, is it is it full long tele- is it short form television or is it long form television? So is it half hour shows, one hour shows? The trick when you start getting into half hours and one hours, um, then uh, an interview scenario like this. Um, if you think about what's on television at the moment, there's hardly anything like that. Yeah. So you then generally go into daytime or you go late night, you know, depending on the tone of the show and, uh, and who you bring in. Um, or you go on to more factually orientated shows. So then you go into CNBC or you go into, you know, one of those kinds of shows, uh, one, those kinds of platforms, because that's what they are built for. Totally. So that's the tricky part is kind of playing the space in the shorter form space. Um, 
I think that that is opening up more and more, you know, um, and uh, aggressively in the sense that there's more and more opportunity in that space. Um, and I and I have no doubt that um, quite soon you're going to start seeing um, some short form content on people like Showmax, and you know, and because you can see it. I mean, even on Netflix, they run they run short form, you know, particularly in the factual space. You know, they'll have ten minutes, fifteen minutes, because on SVOD nobody cares on the duration. It's all about the content. Totally. Yeah. Are you feeling lonely on your entrepreneurial journey? Well, it doesn't need to be that way. Check out the Daily Hustle Telegram group powered by the Matt Brown Show and connect with other hustlers from around the world. Okay, let's get some Q&A. Oh, we're not doing Q&A, we're doing p- Pitch Mr. Irvine. Ah. Okay, cool. Duncan's tacking into some more chocolates. <laughs> <laughs> so Very basically, I, I thought it'd be really fun to have a segment called Pitch Mr. Irvine. Um, okay. So I went out on social media prior to the show. I said, hey guys, if you've ever wanted your own TV show, now is the time for you to pitch it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so let's do this. Uh, Mev, well, you got your mic, cool. Um, so we're going to hear the idea. Um, and then I'm going to ask you just take that bat, and if it's a yay, you can ring this bell, this here bell. With the bat? No, no, no. You don't <laughs> <hit that. laughs> I'm too close, okay. damn it. You I'm too close. The bat. <laughs> <laughs> but ring the bell if you like the idea, okay. um, and you can just hit the ball off the table, throw it at Brad if, if, that, if that, that's better. That. <laughs> throw a coin at him. <laughs> okay. just, just so that we normalize this for everybody about pitching shows that the chance of me saying yay is about a three is about a one to three shot so I'm going to put three nays uh-huh. <laughs> okay cool so he's lining up the baseballs alrighty cool Mab over to you bud Steven's idea is leftover food distributed to people in needs what? leftover, leftover food, food distributed to people in needs as a company okay as a business idea as, an, as a TV show or business so, idea. No, business idea as a business okay. idea look um I, subs- I subscribed to an email called The Hustle. I don't know if you guys uh, have had a look at it. But about two days ago, they had an article on um, on a company that does the- exactly that in America, and they raised like 200 million US dollars. So I would straight away say I think there's an opportunity. Again, I'm going to use my three-year kind of trend analysis and say – Maybe not now. Yeah. Okay, so let's bring that back into context. So a reality show about a business that does that. So that would be a no. So you can take the, throw that ball at Brad. No. <laughs> Good catch. Harder next time. Okay, Brad's yeah. invincible. Dude. All right, cool. Okay, TV shows. Uh, this one's from Mav. I think he works for Map Brown Media. <laughs> His TV show idea is called Meet a Hustler. It's a random um, sort of setup where you meet a uh, hustler you haven't met before, an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. You come there and he advises you can have coffee and it's a TV show. Like half an hour, he just talks to you, uh, to exp- like telling him your idea. So um, I think there's a space for that. Yeah. Um, I, would, I would tweak that a little. I wouldn't make it a coffee. It's too static. Um, if this person is already an entrepreneur and they're already running a business or they're a startup, I would then shoot it in their space. Um, because often when you're just walking around having a look at stuff, you'd be already going, okay, you know, you've got 12 people. Do you really need 12 people? You know, whatever it is. So, you know, it's, uh, I would do that. But it's, um, you, you, there needs to be some jeopardy in it, you know. So if it's going to be a reality show, there needs to be some jeopardy. So it can't just be an interview. Um, it needs to be either, uh, the guy's got some money and he's prepared to invest, you know, and so he's now going to decide whether he invests or not and you either get the money or don't get the money. There's got to be some kind of level of jeopardy. Yeah. Or carrot and a big stick. Yeah. 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 I think people's got more business ideas though than reality TV shows. Okay. Well, let me, business ideas. Okay. So, um, well, you can just ask the guys to submit some stuff. So, um, I have one. Okay. Okay. You ready? So this is going to rock your world, dude. It's a total home run. I've seen this happening. This is going to go international 180 countries. You ready for it? Mm. Okay. Here it goes. So, you know, the traffic lights here in Joburg, Mm -hmm. right? You've got many on the weekends and less so in the week, but you get those uh, kids, the street kids, I don't know, like tons of kids, I don't know what you call them, young kids with boxes mm-hmm. and they all dress the same. Mm-hmm. Boxes and crates and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff and they do that dancing and what have you. Pansula. Pansula, is that mm-hmm. what it's called? Yeah. So what about, okay, a TV show on the SABC, so yeah. we're not going purely DSTV, but, um, but, but SABC and the idea is that you're trying to find the best Team, the best, like, uh, it's, they're kind of like it's pop star reality type story, mm-hmm. but in the context of street arts. Okay. And they're up for grabs is like 500,000 Rand or whatever, right? And they get to basically perform at an international school, whatever the case is. But essentially, it's, a, it's like X Factor, 
but for choreographed arts, but from the street. What okay. do you think? Well, are you ringing that bell yet? No, because there are three shows that do exactly <laughs> what? that. No. <laughs> so just in different kind of forms. So, um, uh, you know, so if if you're talking purely about dance, there 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 are shows already. If but, it's about with art, the crates, dude, come on, that's legit. Yeah, but the crates are and like a legit part thing, of Pansula dancing. You know, they bring them out. That's a that's part of Pansula. You know, but why is the it hat, on TV? The hat and the fast footwork and the crate. Yeah, is, that's ledge. Yeah, it's impressive. Pansula. I always tip them. You got to go. There are some amazing. It's proper. There's a, choreo- a choreographer that um, that whenever I need pansula, he's called Lefty. He's phenomenal, and he's got like a whole. He's got like schools of pansula, you know. So he, you know, if we ever ever have a show, we give him a shout, and he brings them out. And, really? Yeah, and we kind of profile some of his dancers. And so that was a really bad idea. No, it's a great idea. Is it? It's just not an original one. So PC. Yeah. So PC. You can you can actually throw that to both of those balls at okay. Brad. Sorry, Brad. It's my fault, dude. <laughs> cool, dude. So um, so you obviously just sold a portion of your business to the BBC. Um, mm-hmm. We can't say what and for how much and all that kind of stuff. But um, why did you do that? Um, Are you moving towards something else? Like No, I think it's – look, it's two things. One is that um, – uh, it's it's part of it's part of this whole you know I spoke a little bit about diversification you know and so so part of it was is built around that um, the second thing is that um, look they they're a phenomenal partner to have you know I mean they're they have a global network we are now part of an international production you know family and team um, we um, uh, you know we work really closely with them in terms of making shows for them. Um, they, um, they, uh, in terms of just our ability to compete in our market and internationally, they really help us lift our game. They're a great brand to be associated with, but also, um, the, you know, the, you know, they have people in every single country in the world. They have, um, you know, we get great legal support, financial support, you know, and it's part of like saying, how do we compete on an international basis? Um, and so it was part of that strategy is to kind of say, you know, how, how do we, you know, that scale thing, you know, like how do we step ourselves up to the next level? Mm-hmm. Are you still hungry? Excuse me for success. Sure. No. You got a fire in you, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. What yeah. motivates you? Um, that's a good uh, look. Fundamentally, I'm sorry, um, dude. You'd like have the biggest TV production company in, the, in <laughs> Africa, probably, yeah. um, and you've got, got just done so many awesome things, and yet mm. you're still going at it, hammer and tom. Sure. Like, why? Because I still love it, man. I, you know, I think it's a classic thing. You know, if you wake up and you know that cliche thing, you wake up in the morning. If you don't feel like going to work, then you got to get out. You know, I still wake up every morning, kind of like you know, I'm focused. I'm already thinking about what I got, need to get done, who I need to see, who I need to call, um, and get out there. You know, and I still, you know, the beauty with media is that it's ever evolving. You know, it's not like you know, you know, I'm about to be, you know. <laughs> derogatory about like manufacturing and saying like if you had to make tin pots you know you know i mean you're just making tin pots all you think about is like can i make the same you know cheaper Uh but in our world it 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 requires you know the space is fantastic because it's creative on every level Mm. business deals you know how you structure things how you finance things the people that you bring on board you know the talent you choose the you know i mean everything of it every and every time it's new so every time you do a, a new show or a new project Everything's new, you know. So, so you've obviously every entrepreneur has made like countless number of you know fuck ups and mistakes on their journey. Yeah. Like, what's one that really jumps for you as a real like? Oh my god, I can't believe I did that. Um, and <laughs> one of those whoopsies. Um, so, and what did you? If you could describe what that is and, and tell us, like, what did you learn from that person? Sure. Um. Wow, I have so many. Um. Yeah. Uh, so maybe let's just talk about like in the last couple of years, yeah, as opposed it. to the the litany of yeah. kind of failed ideas. The, all the other ones businesses. that molded together to create that thing that yeah. keeps you up at night. <laughs> no, because you know what? the thing is, if you don't learn from a mistake, then you really are an idiot. You know, so um, so hopefully there are none that are repetitive mistakes. Look, I think mo- more recently, um, you know. So, um, is and it's and it's a combination of of kind of like misreading the market, um, but essentially I um, I made the critical error of kind of contractually committing on a particular project um, for three years, 
um, and licensing the project and everything else, having discussions, because normally what I would do is make sure the money is in place before I make that kind of commitment. Um, and I allowed the pressure of the situation and, and, and probably a little the greed of the opportunity cloud my judgment and so committed to the one and then the other side fell over and so you know i've got no revenue around this project and i've got to write checks you know for um you know against against the license um so that's been my most recent one it sucks so badly you can't imagine how it sucks so badly so i mean i'm still as i sit here i'm still desperately trying to um I'm still trying to desperately salvage it, you know. In How big checks are we talking here, roughly, ballpark? Big. Is it? Hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. <laughs> Not my idea of a good time. No. <laughs> <laughs> so last question for you, buddy. Yeah. Um, why do you do what you do? Like what gets you out of bed in the morning? Um, <clears throat> largely what I was saying a little bit earlier, just about um, I still love the space. Um I um, I love that it it keeps changing. Um, I work with some amazing people in my team, and uh, and there's just a there's a really great dynamic. Um, and um, so yeah, so it's about it's about the space. Um, I also still feel like I I get the space really well. You know, it doesn't feel like I'm like slightly out of touch or anything. Um, and uh, and 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 it's still you know it's still rich with 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 opportunity. Um, and yeah, that's the exciting bit. Duncan, thank you so much for your time, bro. It's been awesome sure. to get your story, story rather. Finally, mm. finally. <laughs> no, <I'm> yes. <laughs> Where do I go from here? Run out of sharks and the producer, <laughs> the casting agents. <laughs> cool, dude. Thank cool. you. You've been a real great host or great guest on the show. It's been great thank hosting you. you. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Cool. Thanks for checking out the Map Round Show, guys. And if you'd like to get the Kung Fu put in your ninja, check out digitalkungfu.co.za. Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my Clients Haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.